Okay, thanks. So thank you for inviting me to, to the meeting. Um, so I'm going to talk about, I did my PhD work in Rick's Michaud lab in Arizona. And then I did postdoctoral work with Ray Goldstein in Cambridge. And uh, now I'm a researcher in Argentina. So for the last 10 years, I've been using the, the Volvo Kelis as a model system for uh, trying to understand the uh, transition to multicellularity. <coughs> and so basically, I always think in the evolutionary ecology perspective, what are the costs and benefits? Basically, do, do you have like a pointer? Or? There is a pointer. It was a pointer. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 We can <laughs> have a duo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so in Bob you have uh, this correlation between size and cell specialization and complexity. So, so how, what are the costs of benefits or why are size increases in this group? Then you have increased structure and, and increased complexity. So first, uh, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the Volvo Singlin algae in detail, so, so that you understand the model system. Then I'm going to talk about a model that it's impressed now in American Naturalist that I developed based on the Volvo Sing life history to understand the transition to transomal differentiation. <coughs> and, and then I'm going to give us the examples of our experimental work on hydrodynamics in Volvo Calis and how they fit to the model that is impressed now. Christian? Yeah. Uh, what is the scale of those images? So basically, this is uh, 10 microns in diameter, more or less. So this is like 20 microns. Uh, this is like 50 microns colonies. And these are, this can be from 200 microns to one millimeter, to so one thousand. the cell size change as you No, so basically all these cells are more or less the same cells, these dots, the same cell size. So you have like the chlamydomonas cell and the somatic cells in ball box are more or less the same cell size. Uh, these grow as they, re they grow to reproduce, they get a little bit bigger than the somatic cells. Well, all of these reproductive cells, but so I'm, I'm gonna explain that now. But so sorry, the, the germline in ball box is much Bigger than the so here you have a, a so you have different bulbox species. Some germ cells uh, start as small as a somatic cell and they grow, and then you have species like bulbox cartridge. They, they have other developmental modes in which they they have a symmetric division and they start bigger. Here it's like they already are one day more or less. This is one day after the colony was formed. So so that's why they are much more bigger. Okay. When the colony just it's just formed inside the mother colony. They are they are they are bigger than somatic cells, but like double in size, like not not that size. And then in uh, Eudorina, yeah, uh, the uh, extracellular. What makes the extracellular matrix spherical? Is that just surface tension, or is, uh, how, but, why is it such a perfect sphere? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, it's some some one one of the things I was talking here with Brad is uh, one of the things about the ACM is that it's it's known its chemical composition. It's no but but the there are a lot of things about uh, their physical properties and, and how the, it, the, the ECM is formed and how it's related to the cells that it's not known at all and it would be very nice people get into that. But it's a solid sphere, not a hollow sphere in the uterina. 
the extracellular matrix makes a, yeah. a kind of uh, yeah. solid object. Yeah, and actually when we, so basically we pick this with micropipettes, we pick cells, so then we can measure the flow, I mean, sorry, colonies, so we can measure flows, and it's very flex, very elastic and flexible, so when we suck them up mm -hmm. with the micro syringes, yes. the, sometimes we suck too much, and it, the whole thing goes inside, but it doesn't break. Uh -huh. And then when we release the air, it poops, it pops. And re retains yeah, integrity. Yeah, retains the, the same integrity. I mean, it's very hard to break them apart. So it's very flexible. So I mean, it is just, you know, like things that happen when we do experiments, but we don't know anything about but <laughs> why David, is that happening. David's question is, is that, a, is that the surface of a sphere in Euterina, or is yeah. that a solid? No, I is mean, a ball or is it a shell? No, no, it's a shell. 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 It's a it shell. is a shell. It is a shell. Yeah, most of uh, inside the, these hollow spheres, it's 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 almost the density of water. I mean, so it's 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 ninety nine percent water inside. So the ECM it's it's a hollow sphere. Well, it's a banding rigidity, perhaps, that makes it spherical, yeah. or some other weird thing. All right. Can I push the button? <laughs> <laughs> You have the stick, so you can push the <laughs> stick. So, so, this is why the vocalists are so good at looking at the transition uh, to multicellularity because you have, on, on the whole group, you can see all the intermediate, somehow, organizational uh, species. So, so you have Chlamydomonas and you have Ogonium in which you have just a a very primitive primordial group of cells that is not, no more than a 16 cell colony. Then you have this new structure with a holosphere that Eudorina makes. And then when you go to more than 100 cells, you have this species called Pleodorina californica in which some of the somatic cells will not grow. Some of the cells will not grow and become somatic, stereosomatic and do not reproduce. And then from that you have all these Volvox species. This is Volvox ruseletti, Volvox aureus, Volvox tertius, Volvox aversus. And uh, this is Volvox ultra grown with less light and with more light. So here you have like a 2,000 cell colony, and here you have like a 1,000 cell colony just because of lighting, more energy into it, to them. And then from this, you have, the, you have mutants that can be isolated in which with, with, just, with just two, uh, two mutations, you can go from Volvox cartri to one Eudorina kind of colony. Because one mutation makes uh, uh, the reproductive cells not form, the, and the other mutation makes the somatic cells regenerate. So with one mutation, you lose the reproductive cells, and with the other mutation, you make the somatic cells reproduce again. And, and so one of the things that when I started working with, with the volvocalis, and I'm not, I, never, I'm not, I don't have a genetics background or anything, but I realized that, that it's sometimes that that I think it's sometimes more important the regulation of the genes than creating more genes. Just these genes are all the same. It's just turning on and off. The genes is what makes one organization or the other organization. And BC1 and BC2 are two different types of Volvox cartieri? No, it's or? the same strain, but one grown with low light intensity and the other one with high light intensity. Yes? The gonium, uh, is the size of those clumps uh, predictable, or is there a size distribution, larger, smaller? Uh, the, 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 how much, how many cells there are in the clump? So we, if you synchronize them and you and you have like homo, homo, homogeneous light, and have bubbling medium, and everything is perfect, then yeah, it's very, it's pretty predictable. You have like on average eight cells in the colony or twelve cells. 
So there, there is, there is a, even, even though you have ideal conditions, there is variation, and there is a significant variation. And that's another important thing. So you have like limits in each of these designs of cell size, but you have in each, so, so, so if I have an odorina strain, uh, have a culture of odorina, I can get from four cells to 128 cells in the culture. If you grow them on ideal conditions, then that variation minimizes, but still you have, so, so when I report like on, this, this, is, this is on all of these, I synchronize them, um, for my American Naturalist 2006 paper, for my dissertation paper, I, I, I grew them every two hours. I measure their upward swimming speed, their sedimentation speed, I measure their size. So I have a mean size and a mean cell, uh, cell number from somatic cells, germ cells, and all that. And it's still, even though I had them synchronized with high line intensity, I refresh the medium every day and everything, I still have a pretty, and these are clonal, sexually clonal. You don't even have genetic variation. Still, without genetic variation and with like homogeneous uh, culture conditions, still you had a pretty good uh, variation. What is their division mechanism? So let's say you have a group of eight cells. So let me, let, I, 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 have a, I have a slide for where I'm going to explain that. And they grow in steel medium or shaking? So the little guys, they like shaking. The big guys, they hate shaking. What is the RPM for shaking? I don't know. Slow shaking. Yeah, but but so if you like, if you want to grow Chlamydomonas, Gonium, Odorina, and you want to grow a lot of them, shaking is good. If you shake Polvox, they'll die. They don't like shaking at all. And that's also a nice thing about. Supposedly they live in steel environments and they have good motility. So supposedly they are adapted to to steel environments where they move around because they want to, not because they are shaked. <laughs> So they, they are not adapted to turbulence, I guess, or something like that. Because if you try to grow a lot of box shaking, they, 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 won't, they won't grow. <coughs> so this is, again, the, the, this is a summary of, so here you can see the somatic cells and the germ lines. So in Pledorina, here is a transitional stage. Pledorina is like Eudorina, like where some cells stop growing. And then here you have complete germ soma separation, and you have two types of ball box colonies. Some colon, uh, ball box colonies is like uh, it's. Well, I'm going to talk that later. So, so you have like here again a, a a pretty obvious relationship between size and cellular differentiation. The small guys do, do not differentiate. The big guys differentiate into germ soma differentiation. So. So when I started my PhD, I said, what are the costs of medicine? Why, why, why this is happening? Is there a way to measure it? So this is what, what you were asking. It's, uh, so basically, one of the weird things about Bobokelis is that they have this paleontomic development, the, the ancestral developmental program, is that they, instead of performing binary fission, that, uh, as most of the uh, organisms do, they first grow, and they pack up all the divisions at night, so ideally, Chlamydomonas will grow during the day when the light is, and then during the night, they will perform three, two, three, four divisions, and they can make up to 16 cells. So that, that happens also with Gonium, that happens also with Eudorina. So all the undifferentiated species, they all perform palintomy. So the, the 16 cell cluster on the left breaks up, 
So basically, what? Sixteen more. No. So what happens is that each of these cells yes. in the colony grow inside the cell. Yes. The, the, in, sorry, grow inside the colony. Yes. And once they grow enough, they start division phase, and then they break up. Once a new colony is formed, it's breaked up. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So here I'm just uh, diagramming one of the cells inside the colony. So a chlamydomonas cell will do this by itself. And then it would just release 16 cells by itself. A, 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 a pandorina colony like this one, pandorina moron colony, each cell will grow inside the colony. They will make they will go through the divisions inside the colony, and once the, colon, the, the little daughter colony is formed, it will break apart and get released. I mean, the, the mother colony will break apart, and all the small 16 cell colonies will. And the four rounds of division happen in a conventional way in the sense that the DNA replicates, cell walls drop down, yeah. happens over and over again. Yeah, happens simultaneously over and over. And, and, and it, it, there is no growth between divisions. So there is growth. Uh -huh. so Aha, okay, I see it. So the, the, the it, cells are so, much So they divide like a cake. Yep. Yeah, so, so it grows like, so this is, this is called autocolony process. And basically, so you have this. So basically, each cell has to grow. So for example, in an ideal condition, if this colony wants to make 16 cell colony, each cell has to grow 16 times and then divide four times to be able to make 16 colonies. So this is, this is relevant also to the model that I'm going to present later. And basically, this is, this is a very simple life cycle in which basically you clone yourself you grow enough to be able to reproduce the same number of cells with the same cell initial cell size. And when you synchronize these species, they do that. Basically, they grow during the day, they divide during the night, and then, I, so I had like a 16-hour light, eight-hour dark circle, so when the light circle comes, one hour later, they hatch. Yes? And can you track these cells? So if you have a 16-cell colony, all of these 16 cells divide and become another 16 cell. Do they form colonies from uh, these clones, or do they form the 16 colonies from? So, the I, I, I don't understand the question. So you said that you have a 16 cell colony. Yes. Every cell divide, uh, grows Grow. up. Yeah. And then uh, every, each one of these 16 cells give rise, can give rise to to a 16 cell other. colony. So, so you have 16 times 16 cells. Right? Yes. Uh, these. Uh, Cells when when so one cell becomes sixteen other and that could form a colony by itself. Yeah. yeah. So is that the case or do they sort out and then uh, they so, mix? I mean, each no, they don't mix. Each cell grows, divides like a cake, and then that and, and then the, that colony is released. Okay, so it's a clonal. Yeah, it's called clonal. Yeah, they, it, there's no mix mixing between cells. From pr the cells are produced from each cell are not mixed. And, and it divides like a three-dimensional cake, not in this planar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, in Volvox, what happened is there is, a, there is in some Volvox species, like Volvox uh, from the Volvox section, it's uh, Volvox uh, globator, Volvox uh, aureus, um, Volvox barberi. What happens is that uh, there is a derived developmental program, and here they do binary fission. So here, cells, uh, reproductive cells, start small on, on these kind of colonies, and it's, uh, they grow and divide, grow and divide, grow and divide. So the embryo 
grows inside the mother colony. Instead of having like a huge cell and then dividing like a cake, basically here you have growth and division like, like regular most of the organisms do. So here is a typical Volvox Carteri uh, one synchronized on a 16 hour, eight hour dark. Basically the daughter colony is released. So, so one of the weird things that happens on this Cell, uh, this uh, life cycle, when it's synchronized in the lab, is that the daughter colonies are formed and they spend one day growing inside the mother colony. Next day, when the light comes in, they hatch. Before the dark cycle comes, they start the vision phase because they, then they do inversion, form daughter colonies, and back, back again. So it's a 48 hour cycle? Yeah, so it's a 48, so it's one day. The, the thing is, the, the weird thing is that you have these daughter colonies one day growing inside the mother colony, and they are released the next day. Actually, I did experiments in which, for me, was we, I mean, I measured upward swimming speed every, for these synchronized populations every two hours. When they get to this stage, they cannot swim anymore. They are so heavy, and since the somatic cell number is fixed, there, there is no reproduction. Right. And so I say, I mean, how, how, I mean, how they can live in a lake? They just think uh, how, how this happens. So basically, I did a little experiment where I put in the dark some of them, and these guys would, would be released earlier. But do they go up and down with the darkness and the light to some extent? In, yeah, they, in the they, they do gravitaxis and phototaxis. And, and basically, but, but the, the interesting thing is that when, when I put these guys in the dark, after three, four hours, they just went all swimming upward. And, and you could have, and the mother colony was intact with the holes where they, they just escaped from them. Uh, uh, but when, when they get released here, the, the whole extracellular matrix uh, disintegrates and the somatic cells go through programs of death. Here, it, it was, uh, the, the mother colony was like intact with, with the little holes. Yeah. So this inversion process, right? Is this something yeah. unique to Volvox, or is it? Do you also have this in this? Uh, yeah, you have. This, uh, what's, what's it called? California. Yeah, yeah. Process. So they they, they, they also do inversion. So they first yeah, light. They, Brad, they do. All, they do. Do you know, Brad? They do all inversion. So inversion. I think most all of them do inversion, no? Most. So inversion is a Volvox uh, invention. But basically, what happens is that the uh, when they divide, they use their basal bodies. Mm -hmm. to tether the spindle pole. Yeah. So when they divide, the spindle poles end up on the inside of the organism. Yeah. And so that's where the flagella come out so they can swim. So they have to flip inside out so they can swim. All right, so the, the flagella, they arrive in the middle <coughs> of, the, of the... Yeah, yeah, so if they don't, if they don't invert, they right. can't swim and they sink. And so, so in, the, in this, I get to the, 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 the uh, name, but this... California or so? Yeah, California. And yeah. so, so they're, they're also, so they, they divide, the cells uh, grow and then divide, uh -huh. and then they form like small colonies within the within the inner yeah. sphere still, and then they invert and then they are released. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But there's a, because those uh, flagella, those basal bodies end up on the inside, and hence their flagella, there's right. a strong pressure for them to evolve and mechanism to invert. Right. Because they're essentially dead if they don't. And do, do people understand how this works uh, mechanically? Uh, yeah, so in full box, the inversion kinesin, it's a kinesin. It's a? A kinesin. That's right. I think it's a kinesin. Enzymes that phosphorylate. Oh, kinesin. Oh, okay. 
Okay. We don't understand the molecular. So you should, so it's possible to knock out that carnesine and then it will uh, not convert. Yeah, so we don't know the biochemical mechanism, but that points to an actinomycin basic me uh, mechanism. Now I've got a really cool video I can show when I talk next week that actually shows Volvox converting. Oh, wow, yeah. That was taken by Star back in yeah. the 60s. Oh, yeah, it's uh, the, okay. uh, the one Coleman gave us. No, yeah. no. I'll put it in there, it's really yeah. cool. It yeah, makes you appreciate amazing. how awesome yeah. this process is. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing that. What yeah. happens if the mother colony so it just goes, uh, somatic cells go through param, so the extracellular matrix disintegrates and the, the somatic cells go through param cell death, but they, 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 they can stay, uh, remain alive for days, for a couple, I mean, so, so I'm going to explain later how the, the flagella move or whatever, but, but you can sometimes on old cultures, you can see somatic cells just rotating on, by themselves because they are, they are designed to be able to make, to do a flagella like this, so, so the whole colony uh, can swim, instead of doing the chlamydomonas breaststroke. So if you put a somatic cell by itself, it will just rotate on the same place. Gonium does the same thing too. Yeah, angonium yeah, does the same, for some of the cells in gonium also, since they are designed for collective flagellar swimming. And can they do gravitaxis in the dark? Yeah, uh, actually on um, the experiments I'm gonna show, I, I performed them all in the dark. Wow. So, so because I didn't want to have a light uh, complicating the, the experiment, so so I had like a, an infrared filter and I put them on. And so basically if you put them in the dark, they will just have this safe uh, mechanism, they will just swim up. That's because of buoyancy or? Yeah, I mean, because uh, uh, they, they, why they want to do it. Uh, uh, gas exchange, nutrient, uh, and, and also if light comes again, you know, <laughs> they're better off. Uh, the light, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, like, if it, there is light, they will swim to the light. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, unless it's too much. If not, they will swim back. <laughs> but uh, if there's no light, they'll do great text and they'll just swim up. Yeah. Where, where are all these somatic cells? When are they generated in this process? In this so basically here, uh, where, where on the division, once uh, the, the germ cells grow really big, they, they go through the, the division process, and so in this, in Volvox cartridge, you have asymmetric divisions, and then you, they go through a series of multiple divisions, and somehow germ cells are separated, and all the, most of the cells are all somatic. So basically you have 2,000 somatic cells and 16 germ cells maximum. So, so basically, all the somatic cells are formed on the division phase, and 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 the one important things about all volvocalis is that once the colony is formed, there's no more divisions. I mean, there's no more somatic cells formed. The number of cells in the colonies is, is fixed until the new colonies are formed. Eh? With some variation you said earlier. No, I mean, uh, once the colony is formed, once the colony is formed, it, uh, once the inversion process, once the division phase is finished and colony inverts and forms, that's it. Uh, so that's a nice thing also about experimental work because you don't have all <laughs> this continual division going on uh, and the germ cells just continue growing and then dividing. There's some slight variance, I think, the question. Is there some slight variance in the number of somatic cells? Produced, yes. Organisms or organisms? Yeah, yeah even, even, within the col the, 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 even within the mother colony, not all the daughter colonies are going to yeah. have the... the, the most, you showed this picture with the very bright light and dim light. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there is like a typical example. Like, oh, sorry. Uh, so here, if you know, if you have less uh, nutrients or less energy available, then you grow 
half the size. So here you have eight German cells, here you have twelve German cells, here you have one thousand cells, here you have two thousand cells. Just and this is like six thousand looks and this is ten thousand looks. Yeah. So when you uh, if you free the juveniles right after they undergo inversion, can they swim? Like yeah, they swim perfect. They swim really fast actually. They swim double the the so speed. Just I measure their swimming speed also when when. When I did a little dark experiment where I put them in the dark and they, they went, so so the the the, the just the colonies that just hatched swam at 200 microns per second and but the little ones that, that got released because they were in the dark and they just wanted to leave they were swimming at 400 microns, and and if you think about it, it's, so it's a little bit more complicated but basically they have the same number of cells but they have much less negative gravitational force and less weight. And so, but they have more or less the same force. The cells are smaller, the flagellar size are smaller, but they more or less have the same force, but they have less weight, and so they can just swim. Basically, that's the most significant part. As the colonies grow, the somatic cells grow. They, they grow they grow very slow, but they grow. The flagellar grow. The beating rate changes. But in general, the force is more or less fixed throughout the development. So how can they hang out inside the mother for well, I, I think that it's just that in, in the lab experiments, it's ideal conditions. I guess somehow inside the mother colony they are protected also. Or so, like if you think about it in ecological terms from predation or whatever, like they are much smaller. And so if I have everything I need, I stay in my mother. So if, if you know, oh, oh if, if something is going on, I just swim away. No, I just, I just, just, just wanted to clarify the situation. Could you go to your next slide? Uh, whatever the one has, but sorry, the whole one's not bicycle. So in the first 24 hours, that bike cycle that goes on there is basically the gonium type bike cycle yeah. and climate type bike cycle. So the mother cell, or the, the ganidium, which is that little green <coughs> divides. And the only difference is in Volvox, the last division is asymmetric. And then those cells then become, that asymmetric division sets about terminal differentiation, which goes into the next day where they form a new spheroid that has to invert. Yeah. Does that make sense? So basically, how this model is the second half. The yeah. Why it's so long? It's yeah. So, so for me, it's a, 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 a how say an experimental. How, how how would you call it? It's something because of the artificial conditions. So I mean, they are so good. The conditions are so good in in the lab that they can stay a whole day because they have light from everywhere. They have all the nutrients they need or whatever. So, so I think that it's it's somehow artificially done. Because so of the lab condition. Out of the in the wild, you would never see one with baby colonies inside of it. Yeah, I, I, you could, if the conditions are good enough, you could see. I mean, I saw them actually, so yeah. yeah so I don't think the hatching is a regulated process necessarily. Is it what? Hatching may not be a regulated process. So they just get big enough and they break out. Because once that mother. But this darkness aspect is really interesting for them. It seems like it might be if the conditions are bad and they spun away, then they could be like a mechanism. You could you could even see sometimes uh, you could see you could see the flagella moving you know in inside when they, 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 they sometimes they, they are like they are like inside their capsule or whatever you call them <laughs> call that you can see the flagella moving or whatever so I mean they are ready uh, once they invert they are ready uh, why why they why they stay one more day I mean I, that's my reasoning I don't know if it's correct. Light absorption happens in the shell. I guess uh, light hits the shell. Yeah, I would think minimal, but I don't have any clue. Yeah. 
any idea. I mean, I, I, I would think minimal is transparent. Uh, the, the, I, I think that the problem is more the shading of the somatic cells. Exactly, yeah. Ah, yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's another thing. Just, and that's because basically, basically for the colony design, you have to somehow optimize for motility, for buoyancy, for drag, and also for light coming in because the, the, the great, uh, the metabolic, the, the reproduction and the growth is made by the germ cells inside the colony. So if you are make if you are doing too much shading by the somatic cells, so basically they are like there are all these trade-offs for the colony design, uh, so you have to more or less make everything work for all those variables: light coming in, nutrients coming in, and not sink, and being able to move around more or less. So, so do they detect predators? No. No, there is no way they can detect predators. So do they have anything? They don't, even, they don't even have any synchronized. So the somatic cells are like independent motors. And each, depending on where they are in the colony, they are programmed to do. So, so basically, the, the stigma, uh, the photoreceptor, is oriented in a specific way. The flagella are oriented in a specific way, so they can do coordinated swimming. But there's no coordination. There's no messaging. There's no. Well, that is no of. So there is these species that have cytoplasmatic bridges between somatic cells that retain them, and some species that do not retain them. And they both behave in the same way, regardless of where they retain the cytoplasmatic bridges or they do not. So there, there doesn't seem, there's no evidence that there is any coordination at all between the, the 2,000 motors. I'm asking because in, 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 even <coughs> So even in sponges, if you look carefully, the, some cells are actually specialized as some kind of proteoneurons, and, and they express a lot of neural genes yeah. while others don't. So I was wondering whether, whether something like that happens No, here. it seems not, but uh, it's very... Okay. I see. Even, even, I don't know if Ray talked about this, about the metacoronal waves, or what, it seems to be more fluid dynamics than anything. I mean, that... There was some fluid dynamics, you know, there could be some mechanical coupling, like yeah. 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 Feeling, uh, yeah. Which, uh, but but the, the interesting thing is that each motor can can somehow I mean it's always tracking its own environment, its own local environment, mm -hmm. and so one of the things uh, I did these these experiments with nutrient deprivation and basically or so depending on on the spacing between the cells, uh, they, they grow larger placella or they they increase their beating rates or not, they grow smaller cells. It's, in, it's amazing, but they have all this phenotypic plasticity depending on their local, each cell on depending on their local environment. There are more cells concentrated on the posterior side and the anterior side because of the, if you are, if you are always this, this way up, so for swimming it's much better to have also, and also for the light coming in, to have more cells. On the, and every time I, I counted cells, anterior and posterior cells, there's always more in the posterior side and the anterior side. So they have all these, it's amazing how they look so simple, but, but every time I, do, I did experiments on them, they, they always, I, I always have these expectations that are always wrong, and I always find these new things, and, and so, 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 so for example, what happened when I, I did this with diluted nutrients, that I deprived them of nutrients, there's, the sphere grew larger instead of smaller. The ECM grew larger, the somatic cells grew smaller, the flagella grew larger in eight hours only. I synchronized the population, cloned the population, I put one on diluted medium, one full medium. Eight hours later, I, I measured all these things. 
And there was this amazing phenotypic plasticity. So, so actually, so it's there. They can do a lot of things. OK, I'll continue. <laughs> so, so one of the things is that I, I guess all people here know that multicellularity evolved independently multiple times. But it's in Volvox, it evolved in the, inside the Volvocalis group, it evolved independently. So it's not even that multicellularity evolved multiple times independently on all kinds of families. But inside the Volvocalis, you had independent, so, so the extracellular matrix structure evolved independently multiple times. Germ-summer differentiation evolved independently multiple times. The, the development programs, the, the, the right development programs going from palintomy to binary fission evolved independently multiple times. So, so, the, so, so it's uh, really interesting that just with few genetic changes, supposedly with not that many genetic, you can get all these combinations inside this, this group. So in your schematic phylogeny, it looks like there are two lineages which have Eudorina followed by Volvox. Is, is that the, the No, the I mean, this, this, this is just, uh, just I, I just wanted to make a point that, that from Gonium, there seems to be Gonium-like of, or Eudorina kind of, there were Volvox species on different sections. So you have this Volvox ruseleti interspace from, with Eudorina species, with other kind of species, and then you have Volvox aureus and Volvox chigas, and, and then here you have all these other Volvox. And so, so basically, uh, it seems pretty easy for in this group to be able to form germ-soma differentiated colonies. What is the metric D? That, that oh, sorry. So these are the, the, the so there are four developmental modes. And even the so, so basically, it's palintomy and binary fission. There's other asymmetric and all not. But here you can see, like the developmental four. <laughs> Evolved independently in several places. Yeah. So, so, so actually. So are you saying that the Volvox genus is not monophyletic? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, there should be called different species. Uh, I, I, I disagree with. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not a phylogenetic, but for sure there should be at least two Volvox genus. I mean, this the, here you have the Volvox section, the Volvox ruseleti, Volvox barberi, Volvox lovator. These are totally different organisms. I mean, they are spherical, germ-soma differentiated organisms. That, that's the only thing they have in common. I mean, th these guys are totally different from these guys. Uh, they're identified based on uh, what their morphology yeah, is like. So, so, so when you do the phylogeny, they actually, uh, so like Rusaletti has independent game. So, so there's actually Volvox species that are named Volvox that are dispersed within the phylogeny because they were uh, represent either gain or loss, typically loss of character. <coughs> but, but yes, yeah, so so if, if you do experiments with them, you know, and, and like I've been watching them for ten years, swimming, growing, well, it's like totally different organisms. These guys, these species here are totally different from these Volvox species on there. Uh, these, for example, the, these are the ones that all of them do binary fission. They all retain the cytoplasmatic bridges. The somatic cells are much smaller. They swim much faster. They seem to be adapted to, to different conditions because they swim much faster than these guys. They can, they, these guys have up to 50,000 cells. There's none of, none of these species can go to more than 4,000 cells. Mm -hmm. Is there a genome for a sequence for any of them? For Carteri? Um, yeah, I'll talk about the genomes and everything on whatever I'm talking next week. Greg's schedule. They're doing all the <laughs> key with with bring me, they are doing all the genomics of all the, so I don't know anything about genetics, so 
<laughs> Whatever, change it. Okay. <laughs> so here's uh, the basic working hypothesis of how germ differentiation occurred in Volvox carteri. So, so you have a, a gene that is a GLS that turned on, uh, uh, that's the asymmetric division, and it's the one that controls for who is germ and who is soma. And then basically, if you are a large cell, there is a gene that controls depending on the size of the cell. If the cell is large, then the gene, the gene is turned on and there is, uh, the germ cell is uh, not flagellated. And so the germ cell specializes in reproductive function. Then you have the red gene, that if the gene is turned off, it, it suppresses chloropath formation. So you cannot grow. So, the, so the, when the reg A is turned on, you have uh, somatic cells are sterile and cannot grow more than. It's amazing because it's, it's, it's very crude. It's, it's size related. If, if the cells can grow to more than such, a, the, the gene is turned on. And then it goes through the whole reproduction phase and it makes viable bulbox colonies, the somatic cells. It's, it's, it's regulated just by the size of the cells. And so uh, basically here you have a reg mutant in which here the, the reg is turned off and all these somatic cells become reproductive. All of these strains, I have them in the lab and they are on Rick's lab and, and one can do so the next thing is also that, that these can be isolated and, and they are available in, in the lab because they're all viable, they all form. So here you have two types of, of Volvox colonies, the one made by the somatic cells and the one made, they, they, morphologically they are identical. It's just uh, the somatic cells, since they start smaller, they make smaller Volvox colonies and the germ cells make larger Volvox colonies. So you have like a, a an organisms with two types of reproductive cells. So you have these blobs of cells that, you know, sometimes colonies are released, sometimes not, and it's it's very messy. The, like test tubes of red mutants, it's very messy because it's just uh, so. So basically, why use the So this is just a summary. Of, so asexual monoclonal populations are easily obtained. Uh, I have isolated also from a lake in Buenos Aires five strains of. of of volvocalis also. I mean, it's, uh, if you if you work with algae or you are a phycologist, it's sometimes it's very difficult to isolate uh, uh, strains like from an euglenoid, for example. Or the volvocalis are, uh, are very easy to isolate, and they grow very easily in, in standard volvox medium or other mediums, and and they are easy to to keep in the lab. And their global distribution is yeah. approximately yeah, the same uh, line of uh, latitude will have all around the world similar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, then there are some old studies about uh, hybridization and strains and, and so, so they are, they are, strains are morphs that are identical but they cannot uh, form viable spores. So, so the, even within a Volvox species, there can be. That species. <laughs> the, the, yeah, because if you get one from Japan and one from Argentina and you put them together, they, they would not form viable spores, even though they are more genetically almost identical and morphologically identical. So. Thank you. So it's and and the, yeah, most of these species they all have worldwide distribution. And. So they are easily grown in lab in well-defined medium. 
So they, they range from unicellular to 10,000 cell colonies. The cell colony population, community size, and growth rates are easily measurable. Many aspects of their biology have been studied. Due to their range of sizes, they enable the study of scaling laws. It's not that much, but for orders of magnitude, it's more, more or less okay. <laughs> and, well, here, the, I put here, this, this is all, I don't know, Brad, because I put the genome of Riharty and Carter has been sequenced, other are in the process, so you're gonna talk about that later. Did, did you not also talk about it in your earlier talk? I talked about it very briefly. Briefly, yeah. There's a recorded talk by Brad. Oh, okay, yeah, so, well. Uh, I'll talk about some more of the details and some of the things that come And now I'm doing, now I'm starting to do some microcosm experiments to try to, to do ecological theory with them. Uh, so different volcanoes consider a natural competitive kill, competing primarily for light and mineral resources, so kind of communities can be assembled. So I have them with bacteria, without bacteria, with a predator, with, I have them at scenic in the lab, I have them with, so I can put one trophic level, two trophic level, three trophic level. I can look at the complexity, or the ecology of complexity, the complexity yeah, I, one, one experience is doing like ecology with the mutants of how the dynamic, the population dynamic changes if you have cell differentiation, if you don't have cell differentiation. Uh, now we're trying to do some, I'm collaborating with Brian McGill and, and working on abundance. Uh, so I'm doing some microcosms uh, with different combination of, of bovocalis at different temperatures and how Abundance is related with growth rate and with temperature. And so I, I, I think it's under it's a model system that for ecology it's it's underused and and it could be used further. Brad is also stuff. So so, uh, <clears throat> so I go back to now to to the general theoretical question. Uh, so the general theme is to investigate the emergence of new levels in the reality as complexity size increases. And so what I talked about before, how did a larger individual with two cell types evolve from a smaller colony of undifferentiated cells? Just one quick question. Yes. The, the red mutant that you showed before, yeah. does it outcompete the, the ancestral? In ideal lab conditions, uh, yes. The double mutant and the red mutant, yes, because they have much more reproductive rate. So there's, there's no, no pleiotropic effect of you know, all the cells being in general? Uh, no, no, I mean, uh, uh, when I grow them in the lab, the, in ideal conditions, they, they grow really well. Uh, the, the problem is, uh, well, I mean, one, the, then I'm gonna talk about the problems that the, the ecologically, they, they, they have all kinds of motility problems and developmental problems. But yeah, so that may mean that they don't actually have to feed so much. No, no, I mean, uh, what I'm saying, you know, in ideal conditions, in that, but that's the nice thing, that if you isolate them and you have them on ideal conditions in the lab, but for example, the double mutant, you have like on average 600 somatic cells that develop and grow and reproduce, and for two days uh, you have a blob of cells on the bottom of the test tube trying to, mm, so obviously that doesn't work on a lake, you know. And, yeah. And so that, those are the things that I'm later going to talk when I talk about hydrodynamics and all that. So, so can you can you express things in mis-express things in, in these cells? For example, can you block the cell depth of the somatic cells? Can you store cells? Can you block the the cell programmed cell depth of the somatic cells? You were, you had earlier a nice hypothesis slide in, in which you were mentioning that the somatic cells undergo program cell death. So I was wondering what happens if you actually block the cell death? 
Yeah, I don't know about that. I, what I know is that when you have the mutants, they just go through the regular uh, phase. Uh, when you have the mutation on the reg, on uh, on the reggae gene, I I don't know. Do you know any uh, like our experience of blocking blocking the PCD? Um, we don't know. So I'm going to present a model now that, was, as I told you, that it's impressed now in American Naturalist. Uh, and so basically, after all these years of working with them, I always been thinking about the what are the costs and benefits and how chromosome uh, differentiation and multicellularity can evolve. And so basically, the one important thing that, that I want to clear out is that in Volvocalis and in, in the evolution of multicellularity on the, on, on the, on the true multicellular lineages, uh, there is no uh, variation within the organism. Or, or you have a, a, a germ cell that produces all, all the cells within the organism. So they are all clones of each other. So within colony variation is negligible. So this is one of the discussions that I always had with Rick Michaud, in which when I started working with him, he, was, he wanted me to make models. I said, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about aggregation of cells. I'm not talking about dictostelium. I'm not talking about mixobacteria. These guys, they're all genetically identical, the cells within the group. Where's gonna, there's no variation. But you said that the, the, there is variation in the number of cells. Yeah, but that, that's because that's ecological. That's because how much resources they get. But the as you said, there are phenotypic variations. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is your theory of that? Yeah, yeah. But but the thing is that the important thing here is that variation group. Uh, it's between groups, not within the groups. There is no no problem about cooperation and defectors. All the cells come from a mother cell. There is a bottleneck of the germline, and so even. You go through 16 divisions, 17 divisions. I mean, so so the, the important thing is that I don't have to deal when I deal with a model here with genetic variation within. I mean, it's negligible how many mutations can happen. Okay, so, 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 so just the detail here. So 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 let's say that that you you look at you count the number of cells in the lab from several colonies which are all clonal. <coughs> How much variation is there in the number of somatic cells? Oh, there could be a lot, but it depends on the on the on the conditions, on the medium, and on the light intensity, and on the how much homogeneous the conditions are. But it doesn't depend on the genetics. The genetics is the same for the whole population. Sure, but how much variation? Is oh, there? it's uh, it's uh, I mean, it, when I synchronize them as as. As good as I wanted to, so to make the, the hydrodynamic experiments, I still had a lot of. I I, I actually didn't really uh, measure. I mean, but there is. Uh, I cannot tell you in percentage. I mean, I have all the data actually. If you if you're interested, I can give you all the data sets. I can clarify a bit. Yeah. So the Volvocales, they don't genetically determine their cell number. It's determined by the size. How big the cell grows. So if the cell grows twice as big, it divides once. If it grows four times as big, it divides twice. So it's completely environmentally determined. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I wanted to see if the environment is, is, is really identical, if you're having a reactor and any... So mostly, yeah, I mean... Then you take that variable away, right? 
So uh, no, there's actually no way to do that because in the way that they're, they're you know, they're grown in a test tube or in a flat, so there's always going to be distribution. No, but, but what you're saying is theoretically, if I grow them on ideal conditions, on really homogeneous conditions, it should form. Yes. I think that that what should happen. They should all be identical. Yeah, and that's true. You so. think it yeah, uh, yeah. But I, I, but, but I'm still amazed about how much variation there is because I thought that my conditions were pretty homogeneous, and I still had a lot of variation. So I'm not sure there would be anything. I mean, that wouldn't be my guess. So my, my guess would be that even if you take away all the environmental variation, they would still have, and if they still, and they're still genetically identical you still have some variability there. And why? Because there is not, there are plenty of examples of non-genetic variability. You have cells in grown in exactly the same conditions, they're genetically identical, and yet they have huh. fairly different behaviors or, or cell sizes. That's why that's oh. I was getting oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, we can test that. Our, our data points at the sizers. But yeah, I mean, I was always amazed about how much variation there was, even though they were genetically identical and, and the conditions were pretty homogeneous. So. Yeah, I would like to ask about when you said that uh, there is uh, genetic variation only between groups. Yeah. But actually, that variation must arise within groups. So somewhere in, when the gonadia are generated, one of them must be or something. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, they that emerge as a. Uh, <coughs> They may emerge as a mixed group. No, so so basically, so one thing that I forgot to, to explain is, so the population growth is basically done through a sexual reproduction. But then there is a sexual phase in which uh, you, you have a sexual phase in which, so when the conditions for growth are not met, they go, they, they form uh, gonidia and and they have the male and the female, they reproduce and they form a spore that, that is resistant until the conditions are met again in the lake. But what you were showing with the uh, groups of cells growing inside the mother colony, yeah. that was asexual? Yeah. Okay, so even in that asexual situation, you can have... Yeah, you can have mutations. Sticks, you can have yeah, well, what I'm saying is that, that for me, and, and for, I mean, in this model I don't deal with that, it's, I'm just dealing with the cost and benefits, looking at the, the, the fitness, uh, for me, it's negligible, the within-group variation, because how much variation could it be uh, within the group if they have so few divisions and all the cells come from the same mother cell? Are there any estimates of mutation rate for both cancers? Uh, there was, but yeah. Uh, I, I'm not like really familiar. I, 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 uh, Actually, when I started working in Rick's lab and Aurora Nedelku was, I learned everything. Well, I should say that I learned everything about Bobocalis from her. Uh, I started like working with her, trying to, to to measure mutation rates and all that, just because because that was one of the main theories of Rick that I disagreed and <laughs> and I and, and he wanted to do a model be, be, be the defectors, operators. I mean, I mean, this is. This is, I, I thought that this was not the model for that. That if you want to look at that, you have to look at, at bacteria, at slime molds, and look at aggregates. Not, not I mean, when you have a bottleneck of a mother cell and. Right, but we all pass through a single cell bottleneck, and we're clearly not. We don't have genetic Yeah, but 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 you have but but you have how many divisions and you continue right, but just divisions. Right, was said down there at some stage it yeah. will happen, but yeah. you're just not dealing with it in your. Yeah, process, yeah. Right? 
Yeah, and, and, and I'm just explaining why I'm not dealing. I'm not saying it's not happening, and I'm not saying that it's not important for other models, but, but in Volvo Kelis, it doesn't seem to be really that important. Okay, so basically, I, I, I try to do the simplest model possible in which there is only a sexual reproduction, there's discrete generation time, so population growth in Volvo Kelis is asexual. They have discrete generation times. When the daughter colonies are released, the mother colony dies. Extracellular so I don't deal with the extracellular matrix cost or benefits. Uh, uh, I just uh, model an organism that just evolves one somatic cell type. Again, Volvocalis have only one somatic cell type. Cell number is fixed throughout development in the model. Volvocalis cell fixed. So basically, it's like after I started thinking, okay, how what's the simplest model possible, and and then also the, the thing is that the life cycle in Volvocalis it's it's also so simple that that that, that you can relate it to to them. Uh, and the other thing that I assume in the model is the intrinsic growth rate of a unicell is the maximum possible, the uh, rate of the of cells that form groups, uh, and and that the reproductive and somatic cells have the same initial cell size. And you force the somatic cells to lie on a spherical shell in the model? No, I mean... It, it, there's, no, there's no spatial... Uh, there, no, uh, there, there is, there, there is, the no, there's no spatial... There is just a general model, and then I use as an example the Wobokalis and the hydrodynamics, and I'm going to go through that, but, but first there's a general model that assumes all this that coincides a lot with the life cycle of Wobokalis. So basically, fitness can be understood in terms of fecundity and viability. So basically, if you invest in somatic cells, suppose you're, you're going to increase viability because it's going to uh, the somatic cells are going to help on with the vegetative functions of the colony. They can increase fecundity because they can help the reproductive cells get the resources that they need to increase fecundity rate. But in general, there. If you have stereosomatic cells and they, they don't contribute to the next generation, you have decreasing fecundity. And then specialized germ cells will increase fecundity because they will just specialize in reproductive functions and they will decrease viability because they will uh, not perform the, the vegetative functions. So these, there, there will be always trade-offs between investing in viability or investing in fecundity. And these trade-off dynamics are going to change as size increases. It's not going to be the same trade-off when you are a four-cell colony that when you are a 2,000-cell colony. That dynamic between the fecundity and mobility is going to change depending on size. If you think uh, 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 just, so here is the autocolony process. Uh, as we talked before, this is a gonium colony. Uh, it will grow n times and divide three times to form eight colonies with eight cells each. So this is, yes. Just to understand your terms. So, fecundity is the number of offspring. Fecundity rate, yeah, the, the per per unit time. And the viability is the, viability the survival of those offspring. The, yeah, the survival rate of those offspring. Okay. Uh, so going from zero to one, hundred percent survival to zero, and then viability, uh, fecundity rate is reproduction per unit time. And the colonies typically die. It's, it's you. Lose eight cells at once, or you, you don't lose three of the eight with five surviving, or in the lab, in the actual lab. Well, mm, depend. I mean, if I just grow them, it, it, the colony. The, the thing is, it's it's complicated because what happens is, if they don't have enough nutrients, 
Yes. They will just don't go through division phase. They will go through stationary phase. For example, depending on the condition. And so, for example, agonium colony, agonium population will become all unicells because the, the, the colonies will break apart. They will not divide, and they will just stay there until they die. Uh, I did experiments with predation in which some predator, Peranema trichoforum, a phagotroph euglenoid, will be able to get one of the cells and eat it in the colony. So what is the predator again? Peranema trichoforum. Uh, uh, it's an euglenoid, a phagotroph euglenoid. It will eat all kind, anything that will be able to get engulfed, will eat it. It just engulfs them. Yeah. And, and for example, so, so one of the important things about all volvocalis is if you break the colonies apart that I did for, for many experiments, the, the, the reproductive cells will continue growing and dividing and forming colonies. I mean, they, they don't need to be inside a colony to perform all their functions if they have enough, all the resources that they need. Can you break them apart by shaking or by sonication? You can do... Uh, so Volvox colonies, you, I, I would uh, break that apart with a Downs homogenizer. Mm -hmm. So you just like a little mortar and like by a, sh a vortexer? No, a mortar, mortar, a little mortar where with shear, oh, 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 yeah, with shear stress, grind. it breaks the, it, yeah, it oh, breaks. So it's enough shear stress to break the ACM but not break the cells. I see. And then with percol, you can do cell separation. Okay. So, for example, I measure density of cells with, with, with percol, and I also, so for example, one time, I broke the colonies apart, I centrifuged them, I broke the colonies apart, I had this, this, uh, this density gradient where I had the somatic cell line, so the germ cells are less dense than the somatic cells, because they're much bigger, basically. And so I just said, oh, I want to live in the incubator. Next day, I had all the juvenile colonies. And I broke them, I put them in percol, I centrifuged them, and the next day all the juvenile colonies were there. The, the germ cell line disappeared, and they were all up on this density gradient. Because it's pretty stable, the percol density gradient. So yeah, the, 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 the. so basically, if, if one can, can think of one of these cells starting with initial mass and doing an exponential growth model in which R is the growth rate and T the generation time, then you have to get to the final mass to be able to, to produce the next generation. So basically, if you solve uh, this, so, so n equals m in n, n final, the number of cells that you have to produce, each of these cells has to produce n cells, it's equal to m final divided n initial. If you put that into the that relationship to here, then you get that the number of cells equals to e to the growth rate times the generation time. If you solve for t, then you get this. Basically, what this says is that if you increase, so the generation time increases if you have to produce more cells, and decreases if you have if you have uh, more, uh, more growth rate. So, so basically, by using a simple autocolony life cycle, then you can have this very easy equation solved. The fecundity of each colony is equal to the number of cells. If you have eight cells, you produce eight colonies. If you have 16 cells, you produce 16 cell colonies. The fecundity rate, so, so fecundity can be uh, also um, written as the fecundity rate to the T. Again, since n equals e to the RT, and the fecundity equals to the number of cells, 
again, if we solve for the fecundity rate, then we get e to the r. For me, when, when I started doing these simple equations, for me it was uh, incredible to get, uh, I'm not a mathematician, and uh, I just play with, I, I always have the help of Rick or Ray <laughs> for this kind of stuff. But I see for me it was amazing that the, the end canceled out on this process. And it was just that the fecundity rate equal to the growth rate, to e to the r. And so if you don't have any, uh, if r is constant, if r is not size dependent, it doesn't really matter. So fitness is going to be the same if you are, if you have this autocolony simple process. If you are an eight cell colony or you are a one million cell colony, the fecundity rate is going to be the same. Uh, if r is not size dependent. But to the extent that R um, is controlled by the uptake of nutrients, yeah. surface to volume ratios, yeah. and so forth, it will be size. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for me, it was nice to start this way. Uh, saying, okay, and I did this simple, I said, okay, it's, it's just R. So now let's say that we invest in some proportion of somatic cells. So the fecundity becomes N, it's, a, it's just the reproductive cells, where S is the, it goes from zero to one, is the proportion of somatic cells. Again, if we put the relationship of generation time with growth rate and N, and we solve for fecundity rate, then we get this equation. This is, again, with any size dependency or resource availability, as, as you were saying, without any other things. So this equation, also what surprised me is that, what it, it tells me is that uh, the fecundity rate has a size component, if you invest in somatic cells, that decreases the constraint as size increases. So if you invest in a proportion of somatic cells, as you increase in size, the cost on the fecundity rate lowers. So this is just mathematics with any uh, biology. It's just there is this scaling relationship that if you have 99% 99 of somatic cells, so sorry, so this is size uh, in, in number of divisions, so this is 2 to the D, this is, two, this is a 32 cell colony, this is a 1,000 cell colony. So basically what this tells you is no matter what, if you are going to invest in somatic cells, 99% of somatic cells, then as you increase in size, the cost on the fecundity rate decreases. And 99 percent is a typical experimental. Uh, no, I mean this. I mean I'm just uh, so so if if you have zero somatic cells, then then. Well, I understand the theory is very general, but in practise, the ratio. Well, so the numbers there earlier. Depending on. 101 or yeah, depending on basically you have this uh, correlation between size and the somatic to reproductive cell ratio. The somatic to reproductive cell ratio in volvocalis increases with size. So, for example, a Volvoxvaria colony that has. 10,000 cells has 10 chances and 900. But a bulb cell that has 2,000 cells has also 10, 16, but has only one, uh, one, uh, 100, uh, sorry, 1,900. So, so this ratio, the somatic to reproductive cell ratio increases with size in bulb I'm not sure about the business. So T, T is time? T is generation time. Generation time. Yeah. So you say one over T is R. Yeah. So this comes from from the previous equation. Um, sorry. So here T 
So basically, if we solve for t, n equals e to r over t, if we solve for t, then we get this. So 1 over t is r divided by, it's just inverse. Oh. So, so, so n is the number of cells. Yeah, n is the number of cells. E to, to the RT is just the growth rate of the, of the single colony. Yeah, of the cells, of the cells in the colony. The generation time, that is the number of cell divisions within one colony. The generation time is how much time it takes you to form a colony. Oh, I see. That's oh, okay. So that's the time uh, it takes before it stops dividing, basically. Yeah, I mean, one no, just before it really. I mean, oh, okay. I, I, I'm sorry. One of the uh, okay. I, I, I don't deal with division time. I, I, I'm assuming division time is instantaneous. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that for this to be like more reflective of what's happening, there should be a term division time that increases with size. But I simplify that. Just say that division is division yeah, time yeah, is not. I, I thought, yeah, it's not again. And viability is still coming. Yeah, yeah. So basically, oh, sorry. Do you want, so this is the, 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 do you want me to go back or? Yeah, maybe, maybe, just to see if I know. So basically what happens now is that if I put this relationship, because what happens is that I have to uh, fecundity, that it's equal to, the, to this term, fecundity rate. Mm -hmm. So I'm just replacing rho by the fecundity rate to the t. I'm just replacing n by e to the rt. Because then what's, then I still don't understand what's fecundity rate there. Because that is the, that is the, the fecundity of colonies? Yeah, so that's the fecundity, the, the how, many, how, many, how many colonies per unit time. <coughs> the fecundity rate basically is how many colonies per unit time you produce. So it's related to the number of, of germ cells. Yeah. Yeah. But why do you put this to the power of t? Because the longer, because this is this is fecundity, and the fecundity is oh, it, it's not oh, it's the fecundity is rho, not lambda. Yeah. Okay. So fecundity is equal to the fecundity rate to the t, to oh, the generation. Okay. Lambda is fecundity rate. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I mean, what I'm interested okay. is is in the fecundity rate, yeah. because fecundity. I mean, you can have 16 colonies produced, but if you you spend one million days in yeah, exactly. So I mean, yeah. for me, the important thing for fitness is not fecundity, but fecundity rate. Right. So, so basically, uh, then I solve for fecundity rate, right. taking into account all these relationships. And basically, fecundity rate depends on the growth rate of the cells, on how much proportion of somatic cells. And, the, and, and this, this is also uh, 2D growth rate and divided by, and the exponent is divided by yeah, because, because the cell number. Bigger, it takes longer to, uh, yeah. it takes longer to grow. Yeah. So, so basically the interesting thing is that then now, depending on how, what's the proportion of somatic cells, then you have different costs on the fecundity rate. If you, if you are a, a 2,000 cell, a 1,000 cell colony and you have 99% of somatic cells, your cost on the, 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 how much lower is your fecundity rate because you are investing in somatic cells, your cost is less if you are 1,000 cells than if you are 4,000. Well, I mean, your 4,000, you cannot depend in, in 99. You have to be at least 100 cells to invest in 99%. And D is related to N. Yeah, D is just log 2 of, of N. It's how many, it's just to, to not yeah, to, yeah. to deal with the how many divisions yeah. do a colony has to go through to make a colony. So, so the thing is, as, as he was saying, uh, R is, is 
is not its size dependent and the growth rate of, of the cells in the colony is going to depend on the supply and demand of resources to the colony which depends on size and cellular differentiation so so basically again here I'm saying so 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 now what I want to do is have a simple model for the cost for the demand of resources and a simple model for the, based on the colony design so, so the, the cost for me, the cost of reproduction of this new colony is going to depend on how, reproductive, how many reproductive cells and somatic cells do I have. So, I ha so if I have an undifferentiated colony, this is like a double mutant, all the cells have to reproduce. So, so you have an exponential cost. If you have a four-cell colony, you have to produce 16 cells. For two. So if you have a 16 cell colony, so here if you have a 128 cell colony, and each of these cells have to grow 128 times to produce 128 colonies of 128 cells, that's really huge cost. And so it has to produce a total, this colony, to, to go through the autocolony process, has to produce 16,000 cells. Now, what happens if this colony invests in 75% of somatic cells? then the cost decreases because all, all of these cells do not reproduce. So this colony, which has the same number of cells, 128, will have one-fourth of the cost uh, that, that an undifferentiated has. So, so one of the things I realized when I was playing with the model is that somatic cells not only benefit a colony, but it also decreases the costs. You need less if you if you invest in somatic cells. If you want, if if large size is beneficial and you want to be a larger individual, if you invest in somatic cells, also it decreases the cost that you need to form the next generation for for the whole colony. But ultimately, are you doing this population dynamics only within a particular spherical uh, volvox organism, or are you you're looking at what happens when you make multiple volvoxes? Uh, out of a single volvox. Well, in the second case, you would have to eventually make more soma cells as well. Yeah, but those soma somatic cells do yeah. not have to grow and reproduce. But, but but if you start off with 2,000 yeah. and you make little daughters, each one of those should eventually acquire 2,000. Yeah, yeah. So so this is basically this formula. It's it's it just. So, so if you do the calculation, it's, it's just so here it's just n square, yeah. and here is n square times uh, one to the minus s. It's just that, that's the the formula. That's the total. How much cells do you need to form the next generation of colonies with so many somatic cells and so many reproductive cells? Just so, so basically, I model the cost of reproduction, or, so, or how many cells each colony has to produce. So, 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 so here it's the, the graph. So basically, if if you don't invest in somatic cells, so this is how the cost of reproduction increases. And if you invest in somatics, as you increase in size, no. So this is size. This is d uh, log two of n, and this is the cost of reproduction. So basically, you can see as as you increase investing somatic cells, your cost is shifted. The increasing cost is shifted to a larger size. And then, so the supply of resources is going to do, be, be done by the reproductive cells that retain the vegetative functions and by the somatic cells that only retain vegetative functions and do not retain reproductive functions. 
So basically, what, this is very simple modeling. Basically, this is just the proportion of somatic cells plus the, the reproductive cells that retain a reproductive. So if G equals 1, then you are totally specialized and you are not contributing to the supply of resources. If your G is 0, then basically B equals N. So the problem here is, if you can see in general terms, is that the demand grows exponentially, exponentially for, for an autocolony process, but the, the supply grows linearly, more or less. No? I mean, so, so basically, if you invest, if you are not differentiated, then this is the curve, if you are undifferentiated. If you differentiate, then depending on how many somatic cells you have, you can increase your supply up to a point where it's almost the same as the undifferentiated colony because you have just very few germ cells specialized. So what I do now is that I change, uh, so now I model the growth rate for the fecundity rate as a function, so I, I use the ratio between the supply and demand of resources as a factor that may limit the intrinsic growth rate R. So basically, where uh, this is a stepwise function in which if uh, the ratio of B divided by C is higher than 1, then the, the supply meets the demand. And, and basically, RO is the maximum rate possible. It's the, the rate of a chlamydomonas-like cell, for example. The maximum rate, growth rate possible, a volvocaly can attain, for example. And alpha and beta are just ad hoc parameters for the moment? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, uh, to add. Uh, so for example, what I'm, what I'm modeling now is, is the most extreme place in which you have an autocolony process, where you have an exponent where, where the, the, the costs uh, increase exponentially, but, but there, there would be other leads. So this, this, is, this model tries to be a little bit more general. And so I add a normalization constant for, for a different groups and scaling, for, because the benefits and the costs on other groups, lineages where multicellularity evolved, will have different uh, costs and benefits. Can you measure alpha and beta somehow? Well, yeah, on Borgokelis, I did it. And they're, are they like one or yeah. half? Or yeah, one? yeah. So I'm gonna, uh, yeah. So basically, the, the nice thing about this model is that the, all the other models based on multicellularity they are like really very theoretical. And here, I, at least, I have a group of organisms where I could measure the the, the limits and the benefits of the, co the constraints on the growth rate and on the viability and the survival uh, to get some idea of the, exp of the allometric exponents. But basically, if, if one now uses a, this stepwise function in which if, if the ratio between the benefit and the cost is more than one, then it's just the maximum growth rate possible. This is the benefit of being specialized, just a benefit term for being specialized. If the ratio is less than one, then it's just the maximum rate times the ratio. So, so then, uh, this is the fecundity rate as a function of size. So here one can see that if the somatic cells equal zero, then how the fecundity rate, if you have undifferentiated colonies, how the fecundity rate decreases as a function of size. And how you have this fecundity rate peaks, depending on the proportion of somatic cells, you can get to a larger size. Because the somatic cells 
help increase the, the growth rate. Within this model, there's no way of getting a negative R so that the thing becomes extinct? Uh, no. No, because you are just multiplying this ratio by the, yeah, so, yeah. So, but, but it's, it's so mean, I mean, it goes, it, it goes to zero, you know, so that I know. Put in predation, you could probably get it. Yeah, yeah. so, but, but, but what I'm saying is that fecundity rate goes so low that, that it's really, so yeah, this is with no predation, with no other, it's just the, the design of the colony design. If, here I'm, I'm always assuming that, that, that there, is, there is a benefit to increasing size. So if I want to increase in size, what colony design do I have, should I be? The problem is that, that with this, uh, the, the, the cost of reproduction are so high that if you don't invest in somatic cells, then, then you are not viable, even, uh, even if, if there is a benefit to increase in size. So basically this is, if, if, if you specialize in germ cells, then, then obviously you don't have any fecundity rate because you don't, don't get any resources. But when, but as you increase in somatic cells, then you can even get, obviously because of this term, you can get higher fecundity rates uh, than, than undifferentiated when, than when you have, because you don't have uh, most of the cells that perform a genetic function are somatic, and the reproductive cells benefit from being specialized. Here, this just shows the same curve, but when, because what happens is that you can have a, the normalization constants. This is like, for example, the supply of resources of a chromomonas cell and the supply of resources and the cost, the metabolic rate of a chromomonas cell. So, so the constraint can be, so, so let's say that the ratio between the normalization constants is eight, then, then the costs start kicking in later because you still have enough where you have enough supply of resources until you are eight cell or 16 cell colony. You have a threshold size that is larger. And the sharp changes in slope in figures C and D? This is basically because here, here you have the, uh, this, this part of the equation is, is uh, the same no, sorry. How was it? Uh, well, it reflects the, uh, the the dichotomy of the inequality. Yeah. In yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Excuse me. What's G there? G is a German specialization. So if German specialized totally, then you don't have any fecundity rate because you you are not getting any supplies. As you increase in somatic cells, then the germ special the germ has higher growth rate because it's specialized and it gets all the supplies from the somatic cells. And in reality, G could be somewhere between zero and one, depending on the species. Or uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, in, so basically, in Volvocalis, I, I do it as motile or non-motile cells. But but in all other lineages, all kinds of graduation can happen. And and even for me, the germline in Volvocalis is a totally specialized. It's not totally special. It just doesn't have a, a, a flagella. But it's still doing all the, all the other stuff. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, but but it's easy to to somehow describe it in Volvocalis between motile and non-motile as as being specialized or not. So, in, when when we look at viability, also we see also here it's very general, but just I also see it as a ratio between the the supply, I mean the the, the vegetative functions by the. 
just is given by, by the ratio between the vegetative functions and the cost. So I'm going to explain this, but basically the variability, so if, if you have an undifferentiated colonies, the cost increases exponentially. Again, again you have here another ex scaling exponents and another normalization constant. This is going to be all reflected with the motility, with the hydrodynamics, because basically what I do with Borbokelis is I say if they cannot swim, if they, if they sink, they are not viable. So at least they have to remain afloat. So this, uh, these ratios are going to uh, describe at what point a colony can float at least or not. And so, the motivation for the scaling form is um, just that's done a lot in biology and you want to uh, yeah. play with the, the fashion? <laughs> or is it, I mean, no. why couldn't it, why does it have to be B to the gamma? Why not E to the B or some other yeah, weird I function? Mean, yeah, no, it's, it's just to make it as simple as possible and just to reflect that, 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 that in other groups of organisms there could be other costs and other benefits, and there could be other dynam size dynamics. Uh, I don't go in the paper into that. I'm just saying, okay, th this is the case for Bocalis. Obviously, in other uh, in other groups uh, where multicellularity, evolved, all that kinds of, uh, for example, even in, in algae, you have like, for example, for uh, you have uh, networks for buoyancy, you have uh, gas vacuoles, you have uh, all, a lot of other solutions other than germ soma separation to deal with a lot of the costs that I'm going to explain later. Uh, the nice thing about the Volvocalis is that you can in detail look at that example and see what happens there and try to understand in general what happened in a transition to germ soma differentiation in all lineages. But, 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 that, but it's just to reflect that the other thing. You're going to measure these gamma and delta, is that right? Yeah, so I, me I measure, actually, I. All of them. Yeah, I, I, me I measure the. I, I have. Actually, before I did this, I had all measured. It's just that then I realized that I could do a simple modeling which reflected all my work, all my previous work. So basically, these are the the, the equation, the, the the fitness function, just the fecundity rate and the viability, and just showing. And basically, when when this line is because it's it's less than one, the the, the reproductive cells is less than one, so it's unviable. So basically, showing that as the if 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 my if the costs of reproductions are as the way I showed it with the autocolony process, if you don't invest in somatic cells, uh, basically you're you're not viable, and and these these costs can be relaxed with the scaling exponents. If you decrease the scaling exponents of the cost of reproduction, then obviously these these curves will shift to a larger size, or will just uh, or the transition will not happen at all. Obviously, if you don't have cost as size, if you don't have increased cost as size increases, then the, the transition is, is not going to happen. Uh, uh, these, these curves reflect, and the other thing, well, I'm always assuming that size it was beneficial. So basically you can see here that it, always on these curves, the, 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 the undifferentiated or, or the unicellular always has higher fitness than the differentiated one. So one can add like a size-dependent mortality, like, like because of predation, size-dependent predation, or because a ballbox colony that, that can swim and migrate on the water column can get nutrients that the other guys can't, or whatever. And just so by adding a, a, a P, this p term, uh, size-dependent, then you can see how these curves can you can you can have you can you can just see the, the dynamics of how with a, a, a size uh, selective pressure, 
how you can go through to no differentiation to uh, colonies with cell differentiation. So now I'm going to go specifically to the volvocalis. So in volvocalis, motility by flagellar beating is a major component of fecundity and viability. Since volvocalin green algae need motility to reach lighter nutrients, to avoid sinking, and enhance nutrient uptake. So again, we go back. Uh, reproduction, fecundity, and motility. So, so basically, I'm assuming here. I'm always assuming uh, from now on is that motility is a major component on viability on this algae, and and you can use it as a proxy for viability. So, so that's uh, obviously a big assumption, and it might be the case or not, but I think it is. Uh, at least, it's a, I think it's a major component of, of the viability of this colony. So flagellated stereosomatic cells increase motility and may increase also fecundity by increasing nutrient uptake to the colonies, but decreases fecundity because they don't reproduce. Non-flagellated reproductive cells increase fecundity because they are specialized and they are not doing any motility functions. Can even increase motility, I'm going to explain later, it's just because uh, if you have uh, germ cells growing inside the colony, the sphere is smaller, and so that decreases the drag, and it can even increase swimming speeds by having specialized germ cells inside the colony. But obviously it's going to decrease uh, motility because it, it, they don't contribute to the flagellar force for swimming. So we argue that cell specialization evolved as a meal to deal with the cost association with the, associated with the production of large multicellular colonies and their metabolic requirements. So Christian, in this case, yeah. nutrient uptake is primarily light. Primary? So nutrient uptake is primarily light. No, it's uh, molecules. A, so it's also a mixing. Yeah, it's a mixing. Yeah, so basically motility is used for the swimming mm -hmm. and the mixing. I mean, flagellar, collective flagellar beating is, uh, for the viability part is for the swimming, and for the fecundity part is for getting nutrients. Has that been measured at all in like, climate models using like a paralyzed flagellum? Uh, no, that's something that I wanted to. Actually, that's one thing uh, that I didn't. I, one of the projects that I wanted to do is uh, fix a chlamydomonas or Volvox colonies, uh, do deflagellation or mutates. I have uh, microprobes for oxygen or CO2, whatever, and, and look in situ in real time metabolic rates with different flow dynamics. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Really because some of them, you can also get some that beat really, really slowly. Yeah, so I never got to, I, tr I tried to start to do that in Cambridge, but I broke a couple of microprobes. I broke a <laughs> <laughs> I needed help from the physicists, and they were interested in synchronizing, synchronizing flagellar and chlamydomonas, and they didn't care about my stuff, and, and that got truncated, truncated that, that part of the <laughs> So So basically, to, to deal with this, uh, the, uh, the working hypothesis was to increase in cell specialization of certain excess species as size increases can be explained in terms of the need of increased motility capabilities for self-propulsion and increased nutrient uptake. So I first started working with uh, Dr. Kessler. All this, my, my dissertation work was done with uh, Dr. John. He introduced me to basic fluid dynamics and low Reynolds number. And without him, I couldn't do anything of this. I did it all with him. I, I learned everything with him. And we worked together. Uh, he introduced me then to Ray and that, and in Arizona. And then he left to Cambridge. And, and so I set up all the lab for Volvocalis with Ray there, and work with him, and whatever. 
So what we so so we then so basically we did a model based on on low Reynolds number and Stokes the Stokes equation uh, used uh, for the Volvo Calis. Then we measure the propulsion the, the velocities of the upward speed and sedimentation speeds of the different species, and then we did experiments for and theory for the collective flagellar beating on uh, for the importance of collective flagellar beating for nutrient uptake. Yes? You may already have said this, so yeah. sorry if I'm repeating this, but we have an increase in cell specialization in excellent species as size increases. What's the smallest size of a multicellular ball Achilles that does not have a germline cell mass separation? The Eudorina colonies, uh, it's uh, no more than 128 cells. Okay. That's more or less the limit. Um, and they're all somatic as far as we can tell. And they're all somatic, all of them no. 128 cells. No, no, I mean, so the limit where there is no cellular differentiation. That's right. So they are all reproductive. I mean, all the, up to 100 cells, yeah. you have undifferentiated colonies. And then after that? After that, then you have uh, Pleurina californica species that are from 64 cells to 500, for to 256 cells, uh -huh. where you have up to 40, 50% of somatic sterile cells. Yeah. And then you have the, all the Volvox species from 500 cells to 10,000 cells, okay. where 99% or more are somatic. Okay, so there, so there is nothing in this group, there's nothing greater than 100 cells that doesn't have a germline cell mistake. Is that right? Uh, more than 100 that doesn't have, no. That's yeah. right, okay, okay. Yeah. And what's the LED Excuse me? How many cells are in the LED Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, um, but more, yeah, it's more or less. And, and again, these guys, I mean, because uh, if, you, if you look at papers, they took 32 cellular, and you know, I've been growing them for years. Uh, it's from 4 to 138, from 50, from 32 to 200. I mean, there's a lot of, um, but it's design colony on each species. But there is a lot of plasticity. So what's the answer for the flip side of Cassandra's question? What's the smallest colony that has germ somatic differentiation? Well, uh, depends because in, in Pleurina, in Pleurina, the, you have a somatic differentiation, but the germ cells remain motile and remain. So there's like no overlap in colony size between them. No, no, because the you have like a jump. It's like once. You, 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 you go that threshold of 100, 200 cells, then you go to the bulwark species that are all more. Uh, again, if they don't have nutrients, then you see crappy 100 cell colony with one charm cell and. So the jump is an order of magnitude? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, less, I guess. Because, yeah, from 100 to 1,000. But depending on the, what, what, the few, Wild populations that I saw, uh, I isolated like three Volvo species from lakes in Argentina, and they look very good. When when they appear, they look really nice, really healthy, really big. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, but I, I didn't expect that. It's like I, I when the, the, the wild type populations that I saw, they, they always look very happy when they are there. But they are always there for two, three weeks. They 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 go through a sexual phase from spores and. Uh, so, and they coexist. At uh, one point in, in, in autumn in Buenos Aires, I isolated a clammy strain, a pandorina strain, a dorina strain, two Volvox species, they were all there. 
they all coexist. So it, it really there is a I try to I try to do an, there's no ecological everything is done in very controlled conditions laboratory. I try to track these populations and it was the, the, the I tried to track zooplankton, cocoa pods, daphnias. Uh, I tried the, the other algae populations. There was so much variation in the data, and, and uh, all the physical chemical properties. Like I did it every two weeks, and when uh, populations came out, so I tried to do some kind of correlations to see what kind of conditions when bulbox species appeared, and it was impossible. It was like really like all over the place. Uh, I I couldn't. Are there volvox species adapted to salt water? Uh, not that I know of. No. Okay, so low Reynolds number. So volvocalis algae colonies form small diameter spheres at three months. So this is like the spherical cow. <laughs> like everybody wants to, to do theory of spherical cow, so here it's more or less a spherical cow. You you have really a sphere on low Reynolds number regime. So basically, the Reynolds number can be calculated uh, with uh, the radius of a sphere, the velocity that is going to sphere, the density of the medium that would be water here, and the viscosity of the medium is water. So if basically, if you have a Reynolds number that is less than one, then flows are are linear. There is non-linearity can be neglected. Uh, if you have a high Reynolds number, then you have turbulence. And then the mathematics is very, very complicated, and I don't have any clue how to deal with that. But the first thing, when I sat down with John, he told me about the Stokes law, Lorenzo's number. We did very, he told me, okay, what's the maximum diameter of a spore box? What's the maximum speed? Uh, we more or less got to a 0.25. First, okay, we're on Lorenzo's number. So we can use simple linear al <laughs> algebra. So, so that was very good for me for doing all my work. So here it's uh, just a movie. So this is a Volvox colony. This is the germ cell. These are the somatic cells. This uh, just uh, to demonstrate the, the low Reynolds number. There are some bits, one micron bits there. And, and you can see how they are. There's uh, no inertia. There is no on low Reynolds number. You can see how they are pushed. Whoop! This is on slow motion, obviously. And so uh, why why you can uh, neglect uh, nonlinearities because basically there there is no acceleration there is no inertia and the flagella we're seeing are closely related to the uh, the clammy flagella or they just change their stroke yeah yeah the, the, again I'm not an expert on flagella structure but yeah supposedly that it's it's just I mean clammy can do this stroke also on certain conditions they also do this kind of stroke. So basically, the flow is going this way. They're going. No, so this here, the flow is going inside. So sometimes they do the walking, and sometimes they, they do the synchronized flagella, and sometimes they do the walking. Um, I think this is nice just to to get for people that that are not in physics or fluid dynamics uh, to get an idea of what low Reynolds number means. It's a really viscous conditions, and it's very important because on these conditions, multicellularity evolves. I mean, on on. Uh, these are the conditions from unicellular and the first colonial organisms had conditions, very viscous conditions, and and uh, with uh, uh, in which uh, this. So these are the con the physical conditions in which multicellularity evolved. So, so what's the speed of the colony? 
the speed, uh, they can go from 100 microns per second to 1,000 microns per second, the speed of a colony. And the, the, the radius can go from 100, uh, 100 microns to 500 microns. So it's about 1 hertz for, for the colony, right? Oh, no, the beating, the beating. Oh, no, 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 no. Eh? I, I, I was saying the, the, the so, so every second they go 1 Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, one, yeah. One's body size. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. That seems to be true actually for a lot of organisms. Oh, yeah? If you look at a lot of scales. Mm. Yeah, so the beating rate here is th uh, it's more or less turning to 30 hertz. And, and then the uh, in the walking mode, for example, uh, there's a, a well-defined direction. We saw these little particles going by. Mm. And so th that's distributed over the, over a sphere and some sort of cosine so cosine theta modulation. Yeah, that. It's like Stokes flow. It sort of creates its own Stokes flow around. Yeah, there. but I, you have to talk with okay. some of the other guys for that. <laughs> so so basically, uh, Stokes law, the the drag force, is equal to, so for a sphere that is sedimenting. That it's moving on a, on a flow at low Reynolds number. A sedimenting sphere reaches a terminal velocity, giving an equilibrium between the Stokes law drag force and the effect of gravity. So there's no acceleration. So there's a constant speed. So if you put a sphere on low Reynolds number, the, the sphere will just uh, sink at a specific velocity. So basically, this is the viscosity, the radius of the sphere, the sedimentation speed. And basically, this term is the difference in mass between the colony and displaced water. So basically, you have to have a difference in density. If not, it will float. Uh, um, so within this same framework, the force used by a colony that swings vertically upward at a specific velocity is the sum of the force overcoming the, the drag. And the force, again, these, these are simple equations just because we are on low Reynolds number regime. So you, the forces are additive because, again, there is no inertia. So here you, you can you can you can envision a colony doing upward swimming speed, and so the the total the force is going to be a function of the flageller force, and the total number of cells in the colony, and so it's going to be the force that it has to do to stay afloat to counteract the effect of gravity. This is a gravity, and the force that it has to do to counteract the drag while it's moving up. So this is the total force a colony has to do. If one solves this for the upward swimming speed, then you have the total force created minus the negative gravitational force divided by the drag. This is the drag term, this is the negative gravitational force, and this is the total force. So if the swimming is zero, if it just the drag disappears because there is no movement. So, so if, we have, if it's zero, this is, and it's just the total force equals the negative gravitational force, and it's just staying on the same place. So these, all these terms can be put as a function of the colony and the proportion of somatic and reproductive cells. So the, tot, the, the, so the total force generated for swimming it's in a function of the number of cells, of the average force per flagellated cell, and the proportion of flagellated cells within the colony. The difference in mass 
between the cells and the displaced water is going to be a function. So I'm assuming here that, again, this is a very simple model, assuming a sphere for the cells. It's going to depend on the radius of the reproductive cell, or the radius of the somatic cells, of the density of the cells, and the proportion of how many somatic and reproductive cells, and the total number of cells in a colony. And the radius is, again, it's going to be a proportion of the total amount of cells at the surface of the colony. If you have a specialized germ cell, then it's going to grow inside. So it's not going to contribute to the size of the cells. If you have more cells, then you have, and depending on the size of the reproductive cells, the size of the somatic cells, and how many cells are specialized or not, then you're going to get a radius, a size of the, of the sphere of the total colony. So this, yes. <coughs> These are all assuming the, the cells are spheres. This is assuming that on the, on the surface, the cells are just uh, circles. But here you assume that all flagellated cells contribute with equal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But probably the ones on, on this is, yeah, this, that's a very important thing that you're saying. Yeah, I'm assuming an average. This is very crude and very simple. And uh, the, the picture is much more complicated. But for now, I'm assuming that then uh, I'm assuming an, an average upward swimming speed force created. Uh, and and I, I'm not taking into account the differences between the force created by the different cells. And Fire. Uh, yeah. I mean, when the colony is swaying, do the internal colony rotate? I mean, yeah, the colony, yeah, when it swims, it rotates mm -hmm. also. Yeah, so, so also there's a, so I'm just saying, okay, there's an average upward swimming force created by all these cells. Uh, you have a force because also the rotation. So that's, when it swims, it, it swims this way. Oh, really? Like a force group? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So supposedly that's also for, for getting, uh, the, it's not known, but for getting homogeneous light. It's uh, clockwise or counterclockwise? I, I always thought clockwise or counterclockwise, I don't remember. No, no. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a mutant, the ones uh, isolated mutants that went there, but I don't remember now. There, but the, but it's, it's uh, one way. I don't remember. I, I can tell you. I, I, it's it's on one some of the. Turn around the axis of their movement, like They don't tumble. No. Okay. No. They just go straight line, and and rotate. And there is like a. I can give you a paper. There there is a uh, on rail ghosting group. They, they they really did all the mathematics about that. So um, and, and how how it relates to the light coming into the. But they really modeled in detail the rotation, and they did pulse of lights. So there is a guy called, I did some work with Canut Rescher. I don't know if anybody knows him, Canut? Yeah, so basically he, with, when I was working in Cambridge, I did all, all the work, I collaborated with him. And he has a paper on PNAS. His PhD thesis is on that, specifically on the rotation of the colonies and how the light come in, comes in. And, and he, he proved that, that the rotation speed is modulated by the light. 
it's, it's amazing, but they, they, he did all this modeling and he, he did all these experiments. And basically, he more or less proved that, that it's, it's somehow adapted. The, the rotation speed and how the, the colony rotates is adapted to at, at least coincides with the hum efficient, it's the best efficient way to come in light coming, uh, for light coming in the colony. And also for, for, for the balance, for, 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 for swimming directionally. So uh, the flagella somehow responds to light intensity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, with Canute also we did, the, so basically there's steering mechanisms. So, so you also in this species where for me there should be two genus. On one species, they have this turning mechanism in which they, they rotate 90% the flagella beating to turn to the light, for example. On Volvox Cartra and Volvox Aureus, they do like the rowing uh, boats. They stop one, some of the flagella on one side stop, another continue, and they do. So, so, but on, on, on Volvox Barberi, uh, we proved that they just turn 90 degrees their beating rate, beating pattern to change direction. How do you put that A term? Oh, uh, so, so yeah, that's something that John told me that I had to put. <laughs> that's a, I, I, don't, I, I don't use it in, it's just uh, to, to, to take into account that the intercellular space term can change. Uh, so, so on this model then when I run it, I assume that, that the, the cell concentration on the sphere does not change. But this is to reflect that it may change, and, and that uh, there could be uh, spacing changes. When I did cell concentration, a size increase, it didn't really change significantly for all these species. But there are other species that have totally different. I mean, they, they are like, they have, so what I did to standardize everything, I synchronized all of them, and I measured them all when they just hatched. So that was my standardization, where they just hatched. So I, I, when I did the comparative biology, I did it for the populations when they synchronized, when they just hatched. So, so because it's totally different, the spacing, obviously, because as the colony grows, the germ cells grow inside, the ACM grows, but the somatic cells almost do not grow. So, so there is an increase as. As the colony develops, there is an increase in extracellular matrix and in, in, in space in between cells. So, and when I grew them on diluted medium, you had much more space. So, so really, it also it changes depending on the ecological conditions. So basically, when you run the model, putting all of those equations in one equation. One of the things that he was saying, that is his right, one of the, the big things that I'm assuming here is that there is an average flagellated force that doesn't change with size, that that's a big assumption when I run these, these simulations, and that the cell density does not change, that that could be also a big problem. But basically, I'm, when I run the simulation, I, I, did, I used uh, published C. hearted data, uh, and, and basically what, what I found, in, in, when, when I did the model and ran the simulations, I found that basically as you increase in size, if you didn't invest in somatic cells, you would just sink. 
So this is the upward swimming speed as a function of size, I guess, log 2 to the end, the, the d, the, the d that I used on the model. Um, here you can see the total force and the negative gravitational force, how it increases, and, and when you reach a point in which it is higher, again, if the density remains, if the force remains, it's not, if both force and density are not size dependent. No? So here, if you invest in somatic cells and your reproductive cells are undifferentiated, if, if, you, are for, if you invest in 40%, then you can get to a 32, 64 cell colony. If you invest in 80%, then you can get, without sinking, to a 100 cell colony. If you invest 99%, you, and for me it was amazing, because this, this reflects, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I was running this, it just reflected wall box species just by doing a just, I mean, can, that cannot be possible that just by, by doing hydrodynamics and self basing but so 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 one of the big things that was were going on in this model is that I was having these big assumptions so, so maybe maybe it's just because of I'm assuming this that I'm getting these curves so I, I have to measure this so what I did is I did measure them and basically again going back to Stokes if I have, basically, by, by, by using this equation and this equation, I can get this equation, and basically the, the total force, the average total force of the colony, is equal to the rate, to this term times the, up, the, the sum of the upward swimming speed and the segmentation speed. So if I measure the upward swimming speed of the species, if I measure the segmentation speed, if I have the radius, I have the viscosity then, and I have the number of cells, then I can get how the flagellar force, the average swimming flagellar force, in, uh, changed as a function of size, colony size. So, so what I did is I did this experiment with John Kessler in which I, I used an optical bench. I put these colonies on these quartz. I did a, a bath to keep temperature stable. I synchronized the colonies. I took them. They put them on, on a quartz, uh, let's say, the, I forgot, for measuring spectrophotometry, the quartz, what's the name? The, what? Well, the, the four by one. Cuvette. The cuvette, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so I put them on the cuvette. I turned the cuvette, they would swim up. I turned the cuvette, they would swim up. I turned the cuvette, swim up. I, I videotaped them. So here, it's, this is very old, this is 10 years old. I did, I used VHS, the first experiment. I did, I used a computer that John had there broken that for flow dynamic that, that had five mega of total memory. I had to put my stuff in floppy, <coughs> three and a half floppy disks. <laughs> so it was like really, <laughs> he, 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 was re, he's re, he was already retired when we did this. And so he had all this lab space but with all this old equipment. And so I, I, I got a, before meeting Ray and all the money, I, <laughs> I first. So this is, uh, so this is like, this is a, a synchronized wall box. So when it just hatched, so I would like take uh, these pictures to get number of cells, somatic cell size, germ, German somatic cell size, and then this is the cubet, the top of the cubet, and these are the colonies swimming up. So then I will get these trajectories and get the swimming speeds. This I did in 
So you're flipping over first. Again, it's a raw aggregate? Yeah, yeah. It's so it's just the average. Yeah, numbers. and these are, so then I deflagellate them by lowering the pH to 4 for 30 seconds. You just deflagellate them. And then the same population deflagellated. I watched them sink. So I had, I even had an average. I had an average, an average colony size, an average upward swimming speed, an average sedimentation speed. So it's very like crude. Even though I did it like that, I got like very good results because I, I couldn't get one colony. You know, watching it swim, deflagellated. Watch it. So I did for each species an average upward swimming speed, an average sedimentation speed, an average radius. So, SE, that's the standard error? Yeah. yeah uh, oh, there you have, for example. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, what's the number of, of, uh, of colonies? Uh, yeah, yeah colonies just, I don't know, like 30 colonies, 40 colonies. I have, I have a, my dissertation, I have an appendix with, and they, they, they are, they, because I had, I measured every two hours. So, because I had these synchronous populations, I would go back to my lab. Get get uh, two milliliters. Go run into John's lab. Put <laughs> put on a cubet. Take the videotapes every two hours. I even I, I uh, for the whole. So I did it for all the species every two hours. So I have the how they increase in size, uh, and I have the standard errors for every two hours the size. I'm, I'm, I the the somatic numbers and germ cell number. I did it once because it doesn't change, but. Then so, for the, so the coefficient of variability here is about 30%, hmm. something like that. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I can give you the, the data, if you, or, or I can give you the raw data. Christian, in your second equation, why isn't there a minus sign? In the second equation, why isn't it because 6 it's pi eta rv minus? No, because this is the total force that a colony has to make, is the sum of Contracting the gravitational force mm -hmm. plus the sum that it has to contract the drag. But there are not, isn't the gravitational force and the the oh I see it's the drag. Uh, so I so this okay. is the total force. So you you have to yeah counteract the gravity and counteract the, the drag because of the swimming. So this is the the data of all these species every two as I told you every two after hatching every two hours. And you can see how, in general, how, how the, the swimming speeds, speeds. So these are the, for the ball box species. Again, these ball box ruseletti, which are from the other section, far apart, are swimming much faster. They have more cells. The cells are smaller. You can see the difference of this compared to this. The reproductive cells are start as small as a somatic cell. So these guys can swim much faster than these guys, which have like much more mass. And and less cells per, per, per unit area. But basically, you can see how, as they hatch, they first, some increase in speed for the first two hours. But then, as they grow in size, and the reproductive cells grow, they, they, they swim less, 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 until, so, so this is Bobox culture. So after this time, they, they just couldn't swim at all. They will just rotate on the bottom of the cuvette. They were not able to to swim at all. They, they, and then next day, when the daughter colonies were formed, when they spent eight hours in the dark, they would be able to swim again because they would be, they had been doing, met, met, they would be spending, you know, energy and so they were less, <laughs> they had less weight and, and then again after two, three hours, again they couldn't swim at all because the daughter, the daughter colonies were able to. So, 
So as uh, as speech is developed on their commodities and arches, our swimming speeds decrease since their mass and radius increase. Uh, and you could see how how speed increases with size, uh, in interspecies and intraspecies, how as they develop they decrease in speed up to a point where they couldn't even I mean these guys yes they could swim until they, they hatch about box. The ones that had the big germ cells inside, these ones cannot after when once they, they go through the division phase they cannot swim anymore. They are too too heavy. Again, these are control conditions on acubet. There's no currents, there's no you know, there are, this is uh, synchronous populations, but but I mean so this is a dialometric relation. So basically if F would have been con in the, mo the model predicted that I should get like the upward swimming speed to, the, to L to the one half, the, the scaling relationship. If F, F would have remained, if the flagellar force, the average upward swimming force as size increased remained constant. But we got uh, less than that, actually. We got all, almost like a quarter, and the total flagellar force was three quarters, almost. So basically what, 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 what we measured that the average upward swimming speed actually decreased per unit cell as size increased. So if it would remain constant or increased, it would be one or the flagellar here, the, the exponent should have been one or more. So what happened that even our motility constraints, the thing that they, if you don't invest in a high proportion of somatic cells, then you will not be able to be viable. It was, it was even higher because the force actually decreased. The, up, the upward swimming speed actually decreased as a function of, of number of cells. So this is applying these. These are the new curves. So the, the constraint was even higher. And, and it's, it's incredible because these speeds are, are more or less the, the real speeds that, that we measure. I mean, just by putting this, what you, you get like, for, for the, the sizes of the colony, you more or less get the, the speeds that you're supposed to get. And the other interesting thing is that I got from this model is that when I put all the measure relationships into the model as a function of number of cells, and I get this curve, and it gives me like a maximum Borbokalian size. So, so I, I, if, if swimming or being uh, buoyant is important, I shouldn't be able to find a Volvox colony of more than two to the 17 cells, because it's impossible. There is no way that you can continue, and there are no. I mean, this is stupid thing, but but basically, I mean, there there is not known any Volvocalia more than 50,000 cells, and this is like more than 100,000. So so this curve, with all these allometric relationships, predicts that there, we shouldn't find with. If motility is important, if you need to stay afloat, is needing to stay afloat is important, and you cannot have any other new innovation in, in design. If you have this kind of design, then um, at least there's not no any. So, so is your conclusion that the main assumption is false of your model? No, no. But the conclusion is that it's even no that the, the, the yeah. I mean that that it was the what, what I was uh, worried is that. Actually, the force would there would be some synergy in colony design, or there would be an increase over, it, and it was even a decrease. So, so the if you think about it, you have a sphere, 
doing directional swimming. I mean, that uh, being a sphere is not a good design. You know, it's not. I mean, you don't see spaceships being sphere. <laughs> I mean, if you think uh, uh, again, it's because you have all this trade-off. You have to get light coming. The germs have to grow inside, etc., uh, etc. Et you have to, all these different things that you have to optimize. So swimming. So a sphere is not the best design. All the cells that are on the anterior side are just. Uh, pushing sideways, uh, and uh, I mean, if you have like a, let's say a, a conical kind of design or whatever, then you will have. I mean, even the drag, it, it increases the drag. So, so it's not the the Volvocalian design. It's not the best design for swimming. But if you have to move around and, and in search of light and nutrients and not sink, and keep on the euphoric zone and all that, then at, at least you have to have all these. these so, so, so it seems that, that one of the reasons why, as you increase in size, you see such a high proportion. If you think about it, it's like you have 10,000 cells and you have only 10 germ cells, and you have why you're gonna, why you're gonna invest so much in just biomass that it's not gonna contribute to the next generation. And so, it seems that there is an advantage of being large. And because of that, then if that's an advantage, then you have to invest all this biomass in keeping your colony afloat and keeping the nutrients in. Well, that's the next aspect. So again, if we go back to the model for viability, then basically we, we found that, that we had a three-quarter exponent for the supply. And the cost is, is all the, the, the volume of the cells, the, the reproductive cells times the somatic cells that contribute to the negative gravitational force exerted by all the cells. And the contribution to motility is the total flagellar force. So basically, you are in this kind of conditions in which if you use as normalization constant the force of a chlamydomonas and the gravitational negative force of a chlamydomonas, then, then you, you are in this kind of a scenario in which the flagellar force is, is much more than the gravitational force or in a chlamydomonas cell. So assuming that you can coordinate in a gonium kind of colony, you, 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 you still have, uh, you can still be non-differentiated for, for, for a few cells because still they have enough force. Uh, but at one point then you start getting all this, again, assuming that being buoyant and not sinking is very important. Then if you want to increase in size, you have to increase the investment in somatic cells to be viable and stay afloat. This is just measuring, just, this is just being afloat, not, not taking care of your swim faster or not, just, just at least being able to stay on the forex zone. So is that maybe why gonium is uh, basically a kind of spherical shape? Is because it goes spherical and they sink faster? Well, that's something I've been looking at. Uh, no, I mean, gonium is not a good example because it's, it swims very bad and it, sink, and it sinks faster than... Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that, that's one of the things that... So I was going to tell maybe Greg next week to give a talk about the first step towards multicellularity. Because I've been measuring so many things in gonium pectorale that I've been looking at. So the, the size-related advantages are... For the first cell clusters are motility, nutrient uptake, storage, uh, predation. So uh, I thought, uh, I, I realized that I, that gonium pectorale as a case study could, 
which shed some light into that. And, and one of the things that I saw about gonium, that it's just a cluster of itself, that it swims slower than chlamydomonas. And that for motility to be uh, an advantage for the first cell clusters, you have to have like uh, coordinate uh, changes, uh, genetic changes in flagellars, beating flagellar structure, uh, flagellar positioning. You have to have an extracellular matrix to be able to have a, a coherent uh, design. So one of my conclusions of what I was looking at is that, that I don't think motility, at least on Volvocalis, was one of the main reasons for increase for the first cell clusters. Then as you increase in size, then you have to have a design, a viable design for you to be motile and be able to stay on the photic zone. But for the first cell cluster... Pandorena then would be the most... Yeah, Pandorena maybe, yeah, because Pandorena looks... Uh, but so your hypothesis then would be then that once you get past that first initial clustering of multi-cell, then to do any size increase, you have to be more spherical to overcome the size again. No, no, what I'm saying is that you need to invest in germ-soma separation. The problem is that once you are more than 32 cells, 64 cells, if you don't invest in germ-soma separation, you sink. At least, in, I mean, in, in Volvocalis. Uh, so, so, so the, the first transition to the first cell clusters, it's another story. But once you get to a specific, to, to, so, so I, I think that the constraints and opportunities of, of motility were uh, one of the reasons why you had germ-cell separation and you have a new level of individuality. It's these selective pressures. Uh, okay, if, if it's good for me to be a larger size because of predation pressures or because of other selective pressures, then I have to change my colonies and I'm not viable. I'm but they all live together. Yeah, yeah, because they have different, again, that, that's the uh, one thing that you say, that, that there's nothing known about really about the ecology, the real ecology. And they all live together. Uh, there seems to be like a, a succession that you know the unicellulars come first, they, the zooplankton feeders start feeding them, and then the bulbox. And if there is enough nutrients, the big bulbox colonies come late because they, they grow much slower. Uh, they take a while to the. I mean, uh, if you grow chlamydomonas or gonium, they grow like crazy, and bulbox colonies they, they grow very slow. So so it's there has to be a lot of of selective advantages for them to be able to be there because the little guys do much better in, in all kinds of conditions. So. so how does the S, by the way, how does the S vary with the N? So, so basically it increases. As, as N increases, S increases. The thing is, it's, we are looking, because it's 0 0.9999, 0 0.99, it's, it's better to think about it as the somatic to reproductive cell ratio. The, the somatic to reproductive cell ratio increases with an, as, as, as you increase in number of cells, there are more somatic per reproductive cell in general. Sure. But, then. But, but if you measure it, how, how does it look like? If you measure it in, in colonies of different size or in species of different overall size? So, so you, it's, you have like a jump. It's like, like we were telling this, because you have only like 40% of somatic cells in Pleodorina, and then you go to all species and you have 10 some ten germ cells and 1,000 somatic cells, and then you go to the Volvox barbarae species, the other ones, and you have 10,000 cells and 10 germ cells still. So, 10,000 cells and how many germ cells? 10, 
I mean, you have from five to 15 germ cells and you have 10,000 uh, somatic cells. So basically, you continue increasing, the, as you increase in size, somatic cells number continue increasing and germ cells, they... Pretty much this concept. Yeah, I mean, from five to 20. Yeah, I mean, it's the, then you have all these species variations. But so now we go to the, let me know, I know if you want to. <laughs> he told me that this was one hour and a half, two hours, and I could talk whatever I want. <laughs> so I can talk for hours. <laughs> let me know if, if you want me to. 12.15 now? Because now I'm uh, because okay. if not I can continue some other day. This, now I'm gonna go to the nutrient uptake part. Yeah. Seems like this is kind of a natural break point. Yeah, I think we should break because uh, yeah. <laughs> you've been going for two hours and fifteen minutes. Uh, so uh, why, why don't we uh, why don't we have a maybe a session next week where yeah we, yeah 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 maybe we can combine it with Brad's. Uh, yeah, and actually I can I can add a little bit about the gonium stuff the okay. the, the first uh, transition. Okay, well, let's thank Christian. Yes.